If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 133. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was weird. It was really confusing packing for Africa and, and still packing all my expedition stuff. Because like you said, we're always bringing freestyle boats or half slices. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to The Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Awesome podcast. Uh, I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today is Monday, and we've got another phenomenal interview as we jump into the new year here. And today I get to speak with one of my uh, one of my personal favorite individuals out there in the world, uh, one of my best friends and brother-in-law and probably the world's best kayaker, Dane Jackson. We get to talk all about his recent trip to Kenya, expedition paddling as a whole, and uh, the success that he has had through racing and competitions uh, in 2021 and his race mentality a little bit, how he you know, is able to win race after race, what he's doing for his training and what kind of goes into that, as well as we, we dive into uh, what his new year is going to look like, what he's aiming for in 2022, and yeah, what's ahead. So this is a super fun conversation, and I'm glad I got to bring Dane back on as his first interview, um, if you guys haven't listened to. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, go check it out. But his first interview was also our most listened to podcast ever. So we thought we'd bring him back on and just talk a little bit about what he's been up to. So very excited to share this with you guys. And also we're recording this out here in my trailer uh, live in person. And so if you guys hear the rain on the roof, uh, it's been a little bit sporadic on and off. And so if you hear anything weird, I'm not sure if you're going to hear it at all. But if you do, it's just the rain on the roof and it only lasts. Last uh, a couple seconds on and off, but just be a little bit patient. And uh, we've got lots of awesome stories and insight from, in my opinion, the world's greatest kayaker. Let's jump right into it. Here is Dane Jackson. 
Dane, stoked to have you back on the podcast. And hey, bud, yeah, as I was telling you just before we started recording your first episode, if you guys haven't listened, definitely go check it out. But your first episode uh, or interview was actually the most listened to podcast so far of the first like hundred plus episodes. Yeah. Nice. Well, people want more. Yes. So I guess I was thinking I would start off by telling us a little bit about your recent trip. You just got back from Kenya mm-hmm. and you guys said it was solid gold. So tell us what was Kenya like? Uh, what did you find over there? And why should we all be going to Kenya next? <laughs> uh, no, we, uh, uh, yeah, no, when I'm going to Africa, used to be to go to the Nile or going back to the dams, usually a big water kind of adventure. But this year... We were, for a while, with the boys, we were trying to figure out where we wanted to go coming into the fall and winter. We were just like, couldn't figure out where we wanted to go. We were like, let's go to Columbia, let's go to this place, this place. And we just, everyone just kept having changes in plan. And then uh, David Sadanko, who does a lot of expeditions, uh, giant dude that's hilarious. He does a lot of, takes really good photos. He was putting together a little trip to go to Kenya. And we hadn't really necessarily thought of going to Kenya before. We had had it mentioned to us, but never was like, we never really thought of it as like, okay, this is like a priority right now. But we were like, you know what? He's putting the trip together. He's inviting us. He's handling a lot of the logistics. We we're like, that sounds like a great time. We can't figure out anywhere else to go. Let's go. And uh, so Brent Agent and I met up with him in Kenya. And right away, we were surprised that the first thing we did was go to this rap company, Savage Wilderness, super nice location, right at the bottom of Super Fun Joy Lab. We, we kayaked the day that we got to Kenya, which you don't normally get to do a lot of time. Has a fun section, couple booths, like a 15-footer. And we're like, okay, this is kind of a cool spot you take out right at the hostel. Um, but then right away, looking at Google Earth, talking to people and watching a lot of footage from the local paddlers that were there, we realized that we could potentially be in for a good trip. And from there, we explored, first we went to Western Kenya because that looked like it had a lot of potential. And although it was a good start, we got this like sick double drop, some really fun stuff. Most of it had already been done, but it wasn't the strongest start. It was more of like, you know, kind of stuff that looked really good on Google Earth ended up not being that good in theory, unless you went in there at like flood stage and maybe it'd be more exciting. But it's still a really fun kind of week heading into Western Kenya, just camping out of the car, sleeping in villages, whoever would let us park where we could. But then as we got back to central Kenya, where the rafting company is, closer to Mount Kenya outside of Sagana, we were like, okay, let's focus on this area. And the first thing we went to is the Niamindi River, which the second day. Before going to Western Kenya, we did the lower part of the Niamindi, which had like a sick 50-footer on it, uh, which had been done. So we were like, okay, that was a solid start. But we are like, we need to go farther upstream on this river. People hadn't been farther up than that 50-footer. And the first thing we did was this one section that immediately right away when we were hiking in, we knew it was almost like Mexico vibe. And as we went in, we realized that the style river was looking good. The river looked deep, looked like it had water. So right away, we were feeling really good about it. But then what ended up on that first day on the upper Niamindi was one of my now one of my favorite joy sections in the world because it's 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 when you bomb it it's only about forty minutes long if that wow. no portages don't have to get out of your boat and just sick booth including one of the most fun double dropped into a thirty footer that I've done and just and it no hike in no hike out it's just a ridiculous thing and upstream had similar vibes to that but not a little more adventuring above that. But that one section alone made the whole trip worth it. And then from there, we explored more around Mount Kenya, got some more runs. Some were hit, some were missed, but uh, there's still a lot of potential there. But just those few runs alone outside of Tagana, worth it for sure. 
That's super cool. Was when you were talking about the double drop, was that the the like stacked I don't know if it was like twenty onto twenty five or twenty under thirty or whatever? It was whatever. like two it was like five foot booth that like you skipped off of another five foot booth and then went right into a thirty footer. Okay. What what was the other double drop that you did that looked super that one, sick? That one that one's in Western County, that's Nabiole Falls. That uh um to that from uh Uganda and um another kayaker, Mike, uh Mufasa Mike ran that a few years ago. That's awesome. That's it's so cool that you guys were able to go and kind of one explore uh, and two find some some kind of new runs and stuff like that. But every time, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I've been to Africa. I don't know a lot. We went like every year for ten years in a row together, <laughs> um, and we would just always pretty much bring playboats, like whether it was to the Zambezi or uh, whether it was to the, the white Nile in Uganda, how was it? It's just, it's such a mind switch for me to be thinking of like going to Africa yeah. with a Creek boat. Like, how was that? Like bringing your Creek boat there and just being like, well, I'm, I'm going to go look for waterfalls instead of big waves. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was weird. It was really confusing packing for Africa and, and still packing all my expedition stuff. Cause it, like you said, we're always bringing freestyle boats or half slices. Uh, but I definitely, uh, it was, it was exactly like, I mean, it, what the weird thing is that it, I was picturing like, you know, we're similar vibes to where we normally go in Africa, but just looking for waterfalls wide open in Western Kenya did have some of that like vibe, what I was expecting, but sticking closer to like on Mount Kenya, more central Kenya, we realized that it's like, it's, it's when you're there, it feels like Mexico. Like it's like jungle all around. The rivers have very similar style to like Mexico. It's, it's really crazy. It was a different experience for sure. And the weirdest part too, was like, you know, normally when we get off the plane in Africa, we're like dying to put on our shorts and no sleeve shirt. But like, this was like super hot in the daytime, but then at night you were wearing a sweatshirt and like oh, wow. pants and it was actually like, it was great though, because you could sleep great at night because it's not hot at all. Like it's actually pretty cool at night. Um, so it's a completely different style of being in Africa, but 100% uh, worth going to. That's awesome. I'm guessing because you're just higher elevation up, up kind of in the mountains yeah. a little bit. How were, uh, how did the locals think of you guys like one bringing kayaks there like i don't know how often they you know see kayaks by the rivers and stuff um but two like just being there like were they were they pretty supportive or or just like what was the local vibe i mean uh well when it came to the local kayakers they were just stoked that um i mean those guys have all been wanting more people to come to kenya like them like they've not only done a lot of sections there's a few people there um including the owner of savage wilderness he um they've done a lot of exploring but there's some sections and some stuff that they just weren't up to running um so they were giving us a ton of beta on what we need to check out they were super supportive not being like hiding any secrets or anything uh and then all the local kayakers that like work at the raft company in that area they were all like super stoked to get to do some boating with us on their local run on the tana but then uh when it comes to the actual like locals of like Kenya along the rivers, everyone was just, anytime they see the kayak, they're just so fired up. And honestly, like the locals are, uh, even when you're in the markets, they were almost more of the chiller people than we've dealt with maybe in like, cause you know, on the markets in Uganda and stuff, they're like, or Zambia, they won't let you go until you buy something. Whereas everyone there was actually like, Oh, you don't want to buy it. Okay. Like they would still like negotiate with you, but they were more fun about it. And then when it came to actually hiking around the river one, we were, not only living in villages, like 
we would come off the river and, be, and they would talk to the locals and be like, can we just stay by your house? They'd be like, oh yeah, for sure. But if we showed up anywhere around the river, the locals would try to help us get to the river or find a waterfall or they'd be like, no, 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 there's a, another one over here. So, That's and then cool. some of the rivers had a lot of locals obviously hanging out by the river doing clothes or fishing or whatever it was. And they were always super nice and stoked. And, and sometimes there'd be a little crowd at the river. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We even had like 10 locals, uh, when Adrian got pinned under a log, his boat was like one of the most savage pinned. You couldn't even see it. Uh, and it took us a couple hours to get it out, like a bunch of different angles and systems and trying to figure it out. But eventually we had to do a pulley for once, like a, like all of us on one side with the pulley. But then the other side was the, the uh, David pulling with like 10 locals pulling out from that side with a clip to the boat. So it's, uh, no, the locals were awesome. That's awesome. And, and when you're pulling it, you're doing like a, a Z drag or a three to one yep. system or something like that. That's why you keep pulleys and, and stuff in your, your life jacket. Yeah. How did it, so tell us about that pin. Cause it did look, it did look savage and his boat got like totally messed up. Right. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I, I didn't think we were going to get his boat out. I thought we'd have to leave it, but basically, uh, on one of the runs that we wanted to first tee, I guess it wasn't a first tee. We thought it was, but it's, um, just one of the sections, the Kip Karen, it looked like one of the more promising sections of Western Kenya. And it's a fun little section, uh, and the put-in slide, uh, which was supposed to be the biggest thing on the run, it's not super big, just looked fun. Uh, we we did scout it. We looked at it real quick. Uh, we saw that, you know, you want to run middle channels and, and go down the slide. And then when walking up with our boats, we still took another look and we're like, okay, we want to go here, there. Uh, and then when we put on, I was still like told the group, like, okay, we're going to go middle, middle, and then move right on the slide. But I, you know... I think we just moved a little too quickly and I guess we didn't really realize that there's a right channel, which I, I hadn't planned on going there. And I, we were planning like, Oh, let's go middle channel. But unfortunately, you know, when one person goes one way, it's the people behind them are usually going to follow. So me and David went first, totally fine did the middle channel, but whoever was going first, and the people that were behind us ended up driving right and taking this far right channel, which in theory looked not that big. It just looked fine when you're going down it. But uh, it's like a little tight slide that ended up having a little savage, like chalked, like log pile um, mm. just above the surface. And Adrian ended up getting pinned underneath it. Uh, and then Bren luckily went over him and tried to grab him from the life jacket as he went over, but wasn't able to. But Adrian's head was above water for a second, but then as he was there for a split second longer. He kind of went pretty much underwater, but luckily he was able to kind of hold on to the log and get out of his boat, uh, kind of messed up his back a little as he did it. You know, obviously, you know, when you're getting out of a pin boat, you know, hit, scraped up his legs and it didn't look fun, but I was so confused because I was at the bottom. I was like, what could he possibly be swimming on? Cause I saw him out of his boat. Uh, but then going up, we realized that it's like a really savage little log jam that was like fast moving current right under the log. And luckily, he was able to get himself out. Uh, Bren was going to be able to get there quickly if he hadn't. But, you know, Bren's a big dude, big powerful dude, got himself out fast. But his boat was completely underwater, savagely pinned, could barely even tell it there. Actually, couldn't even see it at all. Uh, but, yeah, we just moved a little too quickly, and it, which we're a little smarter than that. I was even going to go down and scout the the channels again real quick. But I was like, no, it's fine. We're all going middle. I'm telling everyone to go middle, and we're all going to go middle. But it just one of those times we should have just gotten out real quick, and you know you always got to always to take at least one person needs to get out. So it was a, a fortunate reminder, but you know it happened. We really wish it didn't happen, but yeah, we uh, we were all a little disappointed about that. But yeah, you gotta stay safe and scout. Yeah, I mean that's it's such a 
one, I'm glad that Adrian was totally fine. Um, but two, it's, it is a great reminder of like how important it is to look at all the rapids instead of just the big ones. Like for me, pretty much all of the injuries or all of the like close calls that I've ever had are not on the biggest rapids of the run yeah. because like those are the, the big rapids you are all like, you're hundred percent focused and you're like, Oh, I, you know, I'm going to analyze, I'm going to scout, I'm going to make sure everything's like, you know, good to go. And it's in the like nonchalant, like, you know, the, yeah. the easier rapids where you kind of let your guard down and that's when you like you either run through you're like oh it's just you know class two three whatever it is I'm just gonna bomb through it or um, or you don't like necessarily realize that there's like a log just you know under the surface and stuff so yeah I mean it's just uh, a great reminder that we all need to you know be take care- it all seriously <laughs> yeah take it all seriously and and just kind of scout everything and, and be ready for for all those scenarios too so yeah I'm glad that uh, that Adrian was fine you guys made it through that. As far as like um, access issues, was that an issue issue for you guys? Like when we were in Mexico and Hawaii and different places like that, uh, and kind of exploring, it's all like uh, private land, and you got to either you know get permission or you know hike through somebody's farm field or something like that. Was it same kind of thing, or is there like public lands there, or how were you guys uh, gaining access to the rivers? I mean, we never had any issues with people having a ton of property or going near a property. We, the only time, uh, we never had any issues, but the, uh, even when at the putting of the, um, the Mia Mindy, where we ended up the, finding that sixth section, like there, it is like, uh, um, the entrance to the park and the locals there were like stoked that we were there, but we're obviously trying to negotiate. They want to like, you know, money if we're going to enter their park or go on the land. But um, we ended up working out where we just pay a little bit per person and enter the park and put on. And they even, like, helped us get down to the river the first day, like, even chopping a little bit of a trail. Um, that was, like, the only time we had to, like, really, like, talk to people about it. Um, it helped that we had, you know, the lo- the driver that we had with us. He was, like, he's helped out uh, everyone that's been there for a long time. And he's very confident. He just knows everyone and and very good at just knowing like where to drive to that we'll have no issues or talking to whoever it needs to. But in the end, everyone, even if we were caught by surprise, if someone was on the property, like, uh, we've never had any issues. Everyone was super stoked and super nice. And it was pretty crazy because the, almost every river has some form of trail around it. Cause you know, people need to get down there for water, fishing, food, or, uh, clothes, whatever it is. So it was, uh, yeah, no, it was sick that we never had any issues. Yeah. For clothes, you're meaning like washing their clothes. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting when you're talking about the importance of like a good driver. I think that's in, especially in like expedition paddling, less in like freestyle and stuff, but the important, like how important it truly is. Like when we were in Mexico, we had Israel who just like knew all the locals and pretty much, you know, could talk us out of any situation. Um, when you guys were in Pakistan, you guys had, you know, your drivers that like just took care of everything and, and here in, in Kenya as well. It... I think people don't realize that when you're going on, like whether it be an expedition or a first descent trip, having some sort of local connection, usually through a driver is so key in the sense that they can just, one, if it's a different language, they can speak it fluently. Uh, Two, they're going to know locals for like, whether it be land issue, like or um, access or anything like that. And three, they're just going to know the area so well and like have just, you know, local beta. So I, I think that's, 
sometimes like underrated in the sense of like an important key factor to like these expedition type trips. So that's yeah. super cool. Was that something like who, who essentially was kind of putting this trip together? Cause I knew when we were talking about it, but at the green race, right before you were going, you were still like, <laughs> I was like, so tell me about this Kenya trip. And you're like, yeah, I don't really know exactly what I'm getting into. So like, who was the, like the, I don't know, um, the key person behind, behind putting it all, uh, all together, all the pieces together. Um, in the end, uh, the, like I said, David Tadanka was like the one kind of like one contact with all the locals and things like that. Um, but the, the owner of Savage Wilderness is the one that had done a ton of kayaking in that area. And he had, uh, I guess a few piranha paddlers had gone there in the few years before. And like, he had done a lot of the rivers in the area, um, as well as, uh, the local paddle that was paddling with us, um, Mike, he, uh, also had explored some stuff as well. And, uh, so it's fun being able to bring him along because he could really help with a lot of things. So not only do we have a really good driver, but then we had another paddler who had done some stuff so he could show us where to go as well as, uh, help be there to help us explore some new stuff. Um, but in the end, it's uh, the, the owner of Salvage Wilderness. It's the one that really like we were just like you need to go here. Like we created a, a Kenya kayaking group, and everybody was just dropping new pins on everything we need to go check out, as well as all oh, this is a run I've done, but you guys might like it. I didn't like this one drop, so they're just constantly all of us together were just dropping pins into this group. Um, so it was like a lot of people putting in like. Now there's like, I think 85 pins in our Kenya waterfall, like Google earth, like on Google Maps where you drop pins and save yeah. them. There's like, like 80 pins like dropped in there now. Um, but yeah, those, all those guys together, we definitely, uh, but we, the owner of Savage, he definitely, he really set us up good and, and, you know, he helped us with the driver. He helped us get everything set up. He was showing us all the things he hadn't checked out, had checked out. So that way we weren't like, you know, claiming any first intent they had done. And, uh, yeah, everyone together, we definitely uh, had a solo crew. That's epic. And so, who, like, the way that you explain it, it sounds like a place that I want to go. Who should be going to this to this area? Who should be heading to Kenya for their next, like, uh, creek boat uh, winter trip or something like that? Is this, like, you know, class 3, 4, class 4, 5, class 5 plus expedition? And where should they be going? And, like, what's the time of year? And, yeah, I mean, just, like, kind of explain anybody who's listening that thinks that this could be a, a cool trip that maybe that, you know... It could be for them. No, I definitely think that this is, uh, it definitely has that kind of Mexico style where, you know, the logistics are there. You just basically have to get yourself there. And it's not the most expensive. Like, they're, you know, you're buying a ticket to Africa, but when you're there, you can definitely, you know, especially if you have a crew, it's not that expensive to be there. Um, and the lot, like the lodging, like Savage Wilderness alone is like one of like amazing hostel right at the bottom of the run. But in the end, this place, I feel like this is if those that aren't looking to run, like there is the 50 footer that we um, can run on the Nia Mindy when, when there's any water. Uh, like we ran it super low one day, it was high another day. Uh, but in the end, those that aren't looking, you know, in Mexico, it's one of the most ridiculous places and all those, all those runs are epic and there's so many things you can do. But obviously after about 10 days there, it starts to, you know, you're still if you're not ready to fall off in 50 footers, you know, you start to run out of things to do every day. Like you want to feel like you need to do free fall to do a 10 day, two week trip to Mexico. And you know, after that you're like, okay, I'm done being scared. Whereas this, I feel like it's the perfect, you know, four, three plus four boater. If they aren't looking to scare themselves all the time and just want a lot of joy kayaking where you can really fill up, you know, a three, four week trip without 
constantly feel like you have to scare yourself and have joy sections to do because you know the run that you take out at the hostel the tana has a couple boots fun rapids one 15 footer you can do laps on but then the rag to riches section that we're calling like the bomb section on the nia mindy that's 30 minutes on water the tallest drop is 30 feet which is super easy to skip beyond that it's just five five footers couple 10 footers 30 minutes on water and then it takes 20 minutes from the takeout to get back to the top and back in the water and then if you want more stuff there's more stuff in the area that we didn't even get to do there's the if you go farther east on mount kenya we did this other section that we're calling the fiver section on the mutanga which is like 20 to 35 foot booths that nothing taller than that except for like a 15 footer at the bottom so there's all these runs that you could go and do a lot of laps on and not feeling like you're abusing your body or, or constantly scared but then there is that 50 footer if you do want to run something taller uh, you can go to Western Kenya and get that double drop naviole. Uh, there is also right below the takeout before another bridge on the Nia Mindy. There's a 30 footer that at low water was kind of this crack drop that I ran, but at high water became one of the sickest, like you poof on a lip and then just launch off of it. Like the perfect, just airborne 30 footer if you're into that. And then at those flows, cause it's high water, the 50 footer become perfect. And you do those two back to back and then take out like and and the coolest thing too is that there's like no hiking like everything had easy access like it it's just a really incredible section and i think that those that aren't looking to be constantly scared and just want a longer creaking trip with the fewer bigger drops if you want them it's the place to go that's awesome it's probably also a little bit closer for the Europeans to go there than maybe to Mexico. Yeah. I'd have to look on a map exactly <laughs> to see. I, I don't know exactly how far it would be. But, um, yeah, flying in, where did you guys even, like, fly into? Yeah, we just flew into Nairobi, which is, like, two hours, a little less than two hours from uh, um, Savage Wilderness. Okay. That's awesome. Man, so we, we've been talking about uh, Kenya a ton, which is super cool. And you're actually off to Africa. You're heading back to Zambia. Zambia this morning, or I guess it'll your flights later this afternoon, but uh, we're recording this in the morning. Um, and that you're essentially just going for another joy, a joy trip before the dam gets put in through or, or kind of what's your, what's your goals with Zambia um, heading over there? I think, uh, yeah, I'm heading back to the Zam today in a couple hours. Definitely going back for more joy kayaking. You know, uh, last year we went for like a two month trip and that was sick. And that was the biggest goal with that was just to be there as the water gets higher, try to get the tube wave for the first time, see what happens as it gets higher after that. Just because we've never, we've always been there at low water. Uh, so getting to do that longer trip and, you know, do not doing a lot of traveling last winter, like multiple places, you know, it's just a good spot to bathe, but I'm going to be going back every winter, even this trip, I'm only doing a month, which is still a long trip, but shortening it up a little bit, uh, to meet up with the boys, like the, uh, four of us haven't been in the same spot in almost three years. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are heading over there to the Zam for the first time, but yeah, just joy kayaking, forgot the antics there, bringing the rock star, going to go paddling, just paddle with everyone every day. And then biggest thing is just want to go every winter before the the dam gets put in so whether that's three three more years like they planned or four more years something like that uh or if it's seven more years definitely going to try to go every winter just to to get it as much as possible and uh yeah because it's just joy kayaking all the time even if you are class three boater you know it's just joy kayaking yeah so when you mentioned the four of you you're talking about the send crew which is you bren adrian and caleb yeah um Man, talking about the damning that Zambezi, oh, it's like my one, my top three favorite rivers. Yeah. Um, 
And it just, it's devastating to even think about that. I, I posted a clip of you on, um, on Nile special yesterday and it just like reminds me how sucky it is when you lose rivers that are just like gone and you're like, ah, oh. anyway, I yeah. got, I got to get back to the, to the Zambezi for sure. Yeah. I want to take the kids there actually before, uh, before it gets damn. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. So gosh, um, so you're coming off like another whirlwind of a year. I'm pretty sure last time I interviewed you, it was another whirlwind. Year, but um, you won pretty much everything you entered this year, uh, which is kind of normal for you nowadays. Um, you did some cool expeditions and stuff like that. You actually, I was going to interview you right after Green Race because I wanted to talk about that. Uh, and then you went straight to Kenya. Yeah. But your Green Race this year... Um, you were trying to get sub four, which I obviously you've been trying to get for a couple of years now. You didn't get sub four. You still won. Do you think that sub four is possible? And if so, what do you need to do differently? Or do you think it's just like, man, I, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. Uh, no, sub four is definitely possible. I mean, even, uh, with the flip this year, like if I didn't, uh, if I didn't spin out on, um, nieces and did, uh, the rest of the run the same I would have had like a 402 even and the flip you know I didn't leave that much time but the uh it's 100% possible I've had a couple I've had one like if the gates were there I could time it better but I've definitely had one 359 in practice last year this year I think I had like at least I think I had one or two four flats I think I had a couple four flats this year uh I could never break into sub four at normal flows uh at uh in practice but the biggest thing is the Hardest thing is just that there's so many rapid one it's exhausting because you do have to like have a decent pace not as hard as I originally thought over the last few years but uh, you just have to keep a lot of things like it only takes like you know a quarter of a second half a second right. mistake to put you back over the four minute mark and with the long boat you know with the short boat I could do if that was the goal like if short boat was what it was at four minutes then you know I could have the same run and keep in control probably every run maybe make some mistake but with the long boat that thing just doesn't there's a much easier to lose that half a second and there's just way less the boat just doesn't take care of you you know it's much harder to boof it's just much harder to to save that time you know I've got the run from start to finish broken down and like every little rapid every little move I know exactly how to do a difference between good and great and save that time which is why I've been able to have some fast time but it's uh it's hard it's just really really hard to have a consistent run and, and you only get one run a year so it's it's a big thing but it's 100 percent possible i just need to uh need to just keep it together next year and this was, I was bummed to have such a, a rough run this year which i get dumb to say because i still got first but it's uh it was it was a dumb mistake for me for to make that to kind of fall apart mm -hmm. and i think i just went a little too hard again to get to grillo because it was uh wasn't as high this year so I, I think I just made a little too many little mistakes. So I think next year again, just getting back to, I think I want to try some other stuff for training, but you got to keep it together and paddle hard. Yeah. It's, it's interesting talking about, um, like you're mentioning paddling too hard to get to gorilla, like meaning, you know, using too much energy possibly in the top half or the top, you know, whatever, two thirds. Um, when I interviewed Jess Fox, actually, we talked a little bit about this. What's your pacing? Like, are you, when I, when I race, I know that I do my personal best trying at like a, a max out at like an 80%. Um, is that similar for you or where's kind of like 
you know, obviously you've got your like full out 100% sprint, but when you're doing actual races, what kind of percentage are you putting in? Like, hands down for the green race, you're definitely paddling harder than I am just because I need to like tone it down to have my lines be the, the good lines that I want. But what kind of like uh, output are you putting when you're doing your racing? Uh, it's definitely depends on the, the how long the race is, but the green race, I, uh, over the last few years, I've definitely noticed one, I, I think my, um, my pacing definitely slowing down a lot because I've realized that I, it's, it's especially in a long boat. It's just more about one getting the boat in the right spot, but also like just taking more strategic strokes, like right when you're skipping out or right when you're maneuvering between rocks, like instead of putting in a back rudder, putting in a big stroke or a big front sweep can be the difference between saving that little time, which has helped me with a lot of other racing. But in the end, uh, I definitely need to and try to stay around like 70% because that's actually still harder than I think whenever it's a hundred percent. And it's really easy to do that in the first minute of something like green raid. Yeah. Uh, that would usually put you in a bad spot farther down because the second you get even the slightest bit tired, especially in a long boat, you can get just a tiny bit lazier. And then things like what happened with me, this green race can happen. And it's just, you just cannot get lazy with the long boat. And by the time you get to the bottom part of the course, which is the hardest move, especially when it comes to the slide, which is always the hardest, no matter what, especially if depending on the water level, cause it changes like every day, it could be a little bit different. It's just so hard to stay consistent. So yeah, definitely with the green rates, I try to put myself more around 70%. This year I probably biked and did more like 80 and I didn't need to make those mistakes. I definitely, I practice as much as I can not getting lazy, but just really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And it's, it's so, you mentioned that obviously like the hardest moves are, are at the bottom of the course where you're going to be the most tired and it really does take like one missed stroke to the whole thing unravel. I remember Hayden Voorhees, he did, uh, he was racing it one year and, and just like same thing, just was crushing the race, misses one stroke and then you're like surfing in, uh, in <laughs> yeah. some hole and, and it, the whole thing falls apart. For for you with, um, like obviously you, you won... Uh, what was the Utz Trophy and North Fork this year? Nice work on both of those as well. But um, those are much shorter races. Are you t- like putting obviously a, a, a faster output for for those ones? Like do you like does a, a North Fork are you kind of bumping it up to like an eighty percent and and it's like a ninety or are you still kind of like at that seventy percent the whole time to uh, definitely uh, when it comes to those races obviously like you said they're much shorter. North Fork is more um, it's harder to be constantly doing race strokes because the whitewater is a lot bigger. You're doing a lot more things to keep in control and, and just a lot more aggressive maneuvering, trying to get around the holes and boofing and getting to the gates and things. Uh, so you are taking race strokes, but for the most part, it's more about technique and dealing with the features. And the biggest thing with Norfolk, that's more of like where, like, like, like I said, like strategic strokes like boofing over this wave or when you're landing, getting another stroke in the maneuver, like to carry that speed and just, uh, really putting in more like strokes about where they matter rather than like a lot of good strokes. And I always just try to focus on when it comes to any racing is, is quality over quantity, which is hard to do at times. But with something like Norfolk, it's definitely more about the technique and getting over the features and getting around the features and making the gate um, and occasionally getting those race strokes in. But like it's trophy is if you want to get good at racing, come to a course like Sickline where, and like where it used to be Sickline now, it's trophy. You come to a race like that, there's, zero chance for you can't make any mistakes i I mean like the slightest one can be the difference between first and fifth because it's such a short course right 
and but the biggest thing is that there's so many fast people on the moves that you have to be exactly in the right spot or else you're going to bump a rock and lose that half a second and potentially not win so the biggest thing with the cool thing about Uch trophy is that you kind of have to go basically 95 percent down the minute course uh and it's just really exciting because not only do you have to be on point paddling really hard but then also putting those strokes in for the boost at exactly the right moment. And it's, uh, it's a, if you want to get good at racing, it's fun to do North Fork, fun to do Green Raid. But if you want to make a lot of improvements, try racing out of something like, you know, it's trophy because there's just zero room for error. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's what I felt when we, when I was racing stick line with you there too, is it just such a short course, there's no time to make up for any mistake. And so, uh, yeah, everything just has to be perfect. You can't miss a stroke. You can't have a, you know, like, yeah, it's just so short that you've got to be going all out and you have to be like perfect strokes <laughs> and everything. So, yeah, congrats on winning. That was your first time winning there too, right? Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, uh, by the time I was good enough to potentially win sick line, I got fourth. Uh, I have had the course record. I still have the course record, but unfortunately I uh, got fourth in finals, which it happens, but I was pretty bummed that the next year they canceled it. So as soon as I found out there was an event coming back to the um, Vela Booker, I was very fired up. That's awesome. I think, uh, anyway, we'll see if I end up going back there this year or not. Emily and I were talking about it, but it's, it's good. Um, so tell us a little bit about, obviously we've been talking about, you know, this past year and, and all of your successes through it. What are, we're moving into 2022 we got a new year coming. Uh, can you tell us any of your plans or anything exciting and, uh, or do you have any new year's resolutions or anything like that? Like what, what's this new year, uh, looking like for you? I think, uh, it'll be uh, similar to what I was doing this year, trying to really get back to being able to explore, really hoping to do some more trips, you know, places that, you know, are good for us to go and safe for us to go. We definitely uh, try. I just really want to get back to getting to do some exploring, try to find some new spots and, and try to avoid, if possible, going back to a lot of the similar places. Um, and as well as just, you know, uh, trying to get back to what events I can make it to and just have another good year as well as really try to focus on, um, you know, still focusing hard on YouTube and, and I definitely want to get better at, you know, want to get back to shooting more photos again, want to get back to just kind of back more into the swing of things and back into the vibe and, and just hopefully get to explore a lot more and find a lot of new places and definitely have some, some stuff coming up that I'm excited about. That's awesome. Any, any new year's re resolutions where you're like, like, do you, do you set goals like that? Are you a goal setter or do you like, like, does that do I don't know. Explain how, how you do like your new year's resolutions. If you do them, uh, usually like occasionally we'll, like do a new year's resolution, but I'm definitely not like, uh, uh, just set things down on paper and, and make sure I stick to it. And more than anything, it's just more of like, Oh, I want to like this year. I want to, you know, focus more on, on actually like learning new things and working on new things, whether it's, you know, getting better photos, video, you know, getting working hard on YouTube or, you know, getting better illustrator. Like I want to be able to design shirts more, like just stuff like that, you know, just, just keep working on that kind of thing. And, um, as well as maybe focus on, you know, what kind of, uh, stuff I want to get into, like, you know, investing or anything like that. Like not necessarily getting into investing, but try to think, you know, a little more long-term, you know, things like that. But more than anything this year, I just want to focus on, you know, keep improving my kayaking, just keep improving my photography, videography and, and skills behind a computer and all that fun stuff. Awesome. It's, it's, uh, it's cool to think that you want to keep improving your kayaking one. Cause I think just continual improvement is obviously a great goal, but, uh, I, I personally feel like you're a bit on top of the world right now and, uh, you keep crushing, <laughs> Uh, all the events, all your media. What, what's your, for anybody who's not uh, following on YouTube, where should they go follow you on YouTube? And uh, just tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel. 
Uh, yeah, I try to, um, been, uh, after the boys were doing YouTube for a few years, I decided I would hop on the train because I realized that, uh, I could definitely do it in my own way. And then, uh, so after, uh, the last few years I've been doing it and just Dane Jackson on YouTube, but I, I try to put up videos every Monday and Friday. Um, and when I miss it, I usually try to get back to it a few days later. And a lot of times I'll have videos stacked up for a while. So, uh, sometimes it's not even always, uh, it's just try to keep it in chronological order. So right now I'm still finishing up videos from Kenya. I was taking out videos coming from the Zam and then all the adventures moving forward in the next year. So yeah, I try to put up videos every Monday and Friday and try to do it year round. Awesome. So if you guys haven't uh, checked out Dane's YouTube, go check it out. There's just some amazing videos and he's constantly putting up more content. So super cool to watch. And I think you're definitely one of the most watched uh, kayaking YouTube channels out there. Um, I'm going to, I know that you have to get going on a, on a flight to Zambia. So I'm going to kind of try to wrap this up fairly quick and Something that I try to do is uh, a fire round at the end of the at the end of the show with all my guests and ask a couple quick questions. But I've had you on before, and I'm going to try to. I asked actually on my Instagram account maybe some questions that people want to ask. So I've got a couple different questions that I usually ask here. Um, one of them is, how do you keep your body healthy uh, with the amount of days that you spend out on the water? Uh, the biggest thing is. I've, I've definitely been fortunate not to really to have that many injuries, um, if at all, nothing major anyway. And I think a, a big part, I mean, I'm sure it helps. You know, I grew up kayaking, so I'm sure my body is just built to be on the water. But I think a big re- another big reason is because I, I go kayaking a lot. Instead of focusing, you know, I only go a half hour and then spend a lot of time doing other stuff off water. I think because I try to focus on just kayaking every day or kayaking longer if I have the opportunity to I think just constantly kayaking is why my body stays like the muscles stay where they need to my everything stays warmed up you know um now I do go to the gym occasionally especially if I'm back with like the boys like in Tampa I'm sure we'll be going to the the local gym there like quite a bit but that's pretty much the only time I'm in the gym maybe I'll do a workout when I'm back home if I know I'm gonna be back here for a little bit um like I've been chilling a little bit over Christmas but you know throughout the year I try to make sure I'm staying active whatever it is but if there's no water in one spot, that usually means I'm moving somewhere else to be able to continue kayaking. So I think it's more that I stay on water a lot. That's awesome. Um, I thought this was a pretty interesting question. What are the top three things you attribute to your mastery in whitewater kayaking? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, uh, <coughs> uh, just rugged, good looks, um, the smolder. Uh, <laughs> no, the, I think that, Three things have gotten me to uh, where I'm at today um, and where I hope to be able to continue is uh, one is really that never, never really settle. Like just because you've done one thing or, you you know, just because you ran that one waterfall or you made it down this one rapid or you did win this one event doesn't mean that there's not opportunities to progress and move your kayaking forward, which would then because if you the second you get chill you realize that maybe you aren't as good as you thought you have a rapid that that meets your match or you have someone that's getting better than you that's going to beat you in that competition so i think the biggest thing for me is i always no matter how good i'm trying to get i know that there's a million ways i can improve and through that is i think why i'm able to con- cont- i feel like i improve and feel like i'm that's why i think a lot of my kayaking has moved into you know things come at time you know i hated downriver freestyle for a while until i realized i had more control than i thought now i love doing downriver freestyle and want to continue progressing so i think it's more just never settle and always find ways to improve that's awesome we didn't even get to the downriver freestyle in the episode might have <laughs> to have one. yeah might have to have you back on um 
Last question that I have here from uh, from Instagram. Um, how do you deal with fear? And this they asked, especially after a rough swim. Um, but I'm also just curious how you deal with fear because I know that I, I think too many people think that, you know, top athletes in any field are like fearless, but that's not the case. So how do you deal with fear? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, I think I look at things as the enjoyment part of it rather than the, the scared. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm always scared. Like you said, like people think we're not, but I'm scared all the time, even probably on smaller things than people think. Even, you know, my first Cobra foot back at rock Island, it's only 15 foot, 20 foot drop, but I still nervous the first one back. Um, I'm scared a lot more than people think, but I think the biggest thing is that I focus on if it's something I'm actually going to enjoy doing, even if I am scared, I want to feel like I'm going to enjoy it, whether it's the actual waterfall I'm doing, the rapid I'm doing, or the competition. But on top of that, I also make sure I'm enjoying every aspect off water as well, whether it's hanging out with people, the scouting, the, even just making safety plans, like having fun, or especially when it comes to something like competing, enjoying the whole aspect of the competition. So that way, if I... By enjoying everything, I know I'm actually having fun. I'm there for the right reasons, and I'm looking at a waterfall for the right reasons if I feel like I'm going to enjoy it. On top of that, you know, if a competition goes great, great. It's that much better because I made everything really fun. If it doesn't go great, I still enjoyed myself, and I can support whoever did do well and then think, okay, how can I get better so that way I don't lose next time. So I think just making the entire process enjoyable rather than focusing on the end result because the end result might not be everything that you wanted it to be. Right. I love that. I love how you're you're talking just about a lot of growth and a, and about trying to to get better every time too is, is super cool. Dane, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for uh, taking some time this morning before your flight uh, to talk with me and and share this. Um, something that I like to do with all of my guests is, if possible, to provide as much value as I can. Uh, so, what might be something that you're focusing on right now that I might be able to help you out with, or possibly even my listeners? Um. Want to bring my bag to the airport? <laughs> I, know. I was uh, thinking I could move your trailer later, but anyway. No, I think uh, I think I need some help with adulting, so um, maybe I'll have some. Uh, yeah, I'll have some questions this year for sure. Okay, sounds great. Um, uh, final questions here for you, Dane. Where for anybody out there that wants to follow along? Uh, where should they follow you uh, if they don't already? Which I find uh, unlikely being that the community that follows me probably is already well aware of you, but where should people follow along your journey? Uh, you know, like I said, I try to do YouTube as much as possible as well as, uh, you know, Instagram. I'm trying to get up there as much as I can. You know, if you uh, want to just, you know, see travel, things like that, as well as, you know, just all the best kayaking that I can put out there. I uh, post on Instagram a lot. It's like short and sweet stuff. And then if you want to see longer edits, more like behind the scenes, what it's like to scout, a lot of things like that. Uh, my YouTube, I make the longer stuff so people can really see the, the process. And then if you just want short, you know, short and sweet, just single clips and want to see my year just by that, you can go to Instagram. Awesome. And your Instagram is Dane Jackson Kayak. Is your YouTube the same? Is it Dane Jackson? It's Dane Jackson if you want to find it. Okay, awesome. Thank you so very much again for your time, Dane. This has been a pleasure. Final question of the day for you is what is your definition of awesome? My definition of awesome just any day that I get to do what I love and, and enjoy and spend it with good people. So true. So true. Well, you are off to Zambia. I wish you the very best and uh, 
a little bummed that I'm not going out. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try and just like show up for a week or something. Who knows? I might I might pull it off. Um. Anyway, for all of our listeners out there, I hope you guys got some great value out of this. Dane shared a ton, and I know I personally did. Um, if you guys did enjoy this, please, if you could share it out with one person. Uh, friend, family member, anybody that you think uh, might need to hear from this. And yeah, we're just trying to build that community and collective as a whole. So thank you guys for doing that. Wishing you all uh, an amazing new year. And I am Nick Troutman with Dane Jackson here, signing off and wishing you all an awesome day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.